snap, we have a sponsor. I want to be clear, this is a cool sponsor, and you should, you really should just go check them out, like legit. BustedTees.com. They have a huge selection of geeky hats, t-shirts, stickers, and socks. Themes from Star Wars and Star Trek to Harry Potter, Pac-Man, Back to the Future, other video game references, just all kinds of geeky, cool culture. You're definitely going to find something there that speaks to your inner geek. Here's the deal. At checkout, you're going to see a spot to enter a code. Type in my name, that's Jason, followed by the number 25945. That's Jason25945. Get a pretty sweet discount. There's a link over on the website or head over to bustedtees.com and enter Jason25945 at checkout. Bustedtees.com. Designs that pop culture. Hi, this is Stunning Steve. And this is Delicious Wayland. And if you're a wrestling fan that likes to pick apart and analyze the current product, or if you're a fan of wrestling nostalgia, also known as the Territory Days, then come check out the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. We try to cover it all while giving our takes on what we would have done differently. We're on almost every audio platform around. Just do a search for Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast and you'll find us. Come check us out. You won't be disappointed. Uh, but, on, say it with me, Jay. Caribbean. Caribbean. <laughs> there you go. Caribbean. <laughs> this has got to stay in the episode, by Cara- the way. Caribbean. Queen. Caribbean. Something <laughs> <laughs> like Forrest Gump. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Who has a mixtape? Who needs a mixtape? Who makes a mixtape? Who needs a mixtape? You do, do. Hello, tapeworms. Jason Emmett here, and I am joined by well, no one actually. I'm solo, but don't don't freak out. I'm only going to be solo for about five minutes, and then then the guys are going to join me. You're stuck with me for just a few minutes. Uh, we have recorded a couple of episodes, and they're going to be coming out. But what we didn't do was the wraparound for this episode, and we want to get it out to you. And it's a great episode, and you guys are going to really enjoy it. And like I said, you're not stuck with me solo the whole time, because who would want that? So maybe you remember a few months back, we took the Billboard number one single from each year of the 90s, and we talked about it a little bit here on the show. That was actually one of our bigger episodes. You guys seem to really enjoy it. So I'm hoping you guys will enjoy this 80s version just as much or even or, or even more. So that's what this episode is. This week, we're going to be looking at the number one single, according to Billboard, from each year of the 80s. Uh, a smidge bit of business before we uh, get to it, though. First thing, please listen and check out all of the artists we mentioned here on the show. Uh, they made some good shit, so it's worth checking out. You know, take just you know a couple minutes after you're done listening to this. We mentioned it a lot, but Matt puts together a playlist 
that is available on Spotify for all of the episodes we do. So that's a really good place to go check out all these artists. Uh, if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to this, that would rock. If you've been listening to the show at all, you know, we're about to share all those social media links and uh, ways you can support the show. You can skip that, uh, if, I suppose, if you want. Uh, but it's really, it's only a couple of minutes. So we're hoping you don't. And we make new ones all the time and try to make them uh, at least somewhat enjoyable. Uh, last and not least, if you want to drop an email or a voicemail, we will gladly bring it up here on the show. Again, that information is about to come down the line here in just a minute on how you can leave us those voicemails or leave us those emails. And we will gladly read or play your email or voicemail on the show. All righty, so we're about ready to bring in my main man, Twisted Kid Matt, and the slide whistle maestro himself, Casey Masterpiece, and we're going to get our 80s music chat on. But before we do that, I'm going to drop that social media info goodness here. And then the guys are going to join me, and we're going to talk about 80s music. So sit back, relax, and have fun. Social media. Social media. Hey, boys and girls. Mm. It's good to have you here. Oh, yeah. But we want, oh, so much more. Mm-hmm. You should come join us online. We're on Twitter. You know we do that Instagram. TikTok. Yeah, we got you. And we have a special place over on Facebook for all you loyal fans. You know it, Daddy. Uh, so, uh, so how do you get there? TheMixtapeShow.com Or... TheMixtapePod.com is the place to be. There are links to click that'll get you right to us. Can I write you? You know we got email. YourMixtapeShow at gmail.com Drop us a line. Or maybe you want to pick up that phone? Call me. 513-437-2377 Or, if it's easier for you, 513-HE-RED-77 but I like to watch. Oh, you do? Head on over to YouTube and see all the sites we have to show. Dude, this is getting really weird. You know I like it weird. No, seriously. Okay, who who okayed this? Was this Kevin? Mm, I'm so okay with this. I kind of... Okay, well, I, want to, I want to end this now. Hippopotamus, hippopotamus. <sighs> That's the word. Hey, stay awesome, everybody. Hey, gang, we're about to go on a tour through the 80s. I, of course, am Jason Emmett, but I will not be alone on this jaunt, guys. I'm Casey jaunt. Masterpiece. And I'm Twisted Kid Matt. Yes, it's a jaunt. It's a we're jolly. Jaunting. It's a, jaunty. It's a jaunting jolly good jaunt. <laughs> yeah. um, so this week we're going to be talking about the number one selling each year of the 80s. That's 1980 through 1989. Uh, so I want to ask you guys a question. You know, we did this for the nineties. We've done this, uh, for the nineties and it was a really popular episode. So we've been talking about doing the eighties one for a while. And I asked you guys a question on the nineties one. So I want to ask you here, who might you, this is the eighties, number one selling, who might you expect to show up on this list? Ooh, Michael Jackson. Okay. That's a pretty good guess. Kev, anybody? Tito Jackson. Yes. Oh my God. No, 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 no Damn, Tito. I was say Tito Fuentes. <laughs> I love it. 
Tito Jackson. And he said that with authority, like Tito. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Tito Jackson. Jermaine. 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 Any of the other Jacksons. Janet. Well, Janet Jackson. That's a yeah. good one. So, I'll even take LaToya, you know. Gonna just be the entire Jackson family. <laughs> just the, the Jackson five. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because uh, no. no. No Michael Jackson on this list. I know. That is genuinely shocking. I, it's very, it is Did very shocking. Did you just shock- BuzzFeed article me? It is very, very shocking because, again, it's not like he didn't have a lot of number one hits or maybe even some of the biggest, but this is the number one selling single at the end of each year, which you would have thought things like Thriller might have been on there, but I think the whole album is what sold, not necessarily oh, singles yeah. with him. So I think that what is what threw us off in the, eight, the 90s episode, and it's kind of the same thing here. So like I said, we did the 90s one, and you guys out there really seemed to like it, so we said, let's do the 80s. Uh, the guys don't know what's on this list, so some of these might, are well, they're probably going to be a surprise to you guys. Uh, yeah. But uh, I didn't know what was on this list either until I pulled it. These are not our picks again. So uh, these are the biggest charting Billboard singles of each year. Yeah, there you go. So let's get started with it. We're going to kick off the first song right now. So that we're going to start at 1980. We're going to work our way through each one. Uh, this uh, I like most of these songs. I'm not going to lie, but the, the I'm going to tell you guys right now. 1989 really threw me. That's really? a that was a weird year, just for music in general. I know, but wait till we get there. It was like Escape Club, and wait till we get there. But that would have made more sense. I don't I mean, know. They how literally to had a song it. about living in the 80s, you know, it's, the 90s, I living in the wild, wild west. It's not that this this band that makes the, the number one in 1989 is uh, was a huge band. Mm. You'll see when we get there. We'll talk about okay. it because I got so much to, to to. You'll never believe number nine. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> and you just you just buzzfeeded us. Fed well, buzz fed us buzz fed us feeded us. <laughs> 1989 hey, might shock you. Here's 1980s number one. Buzz feeded us. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I tell I tell Kevin last night. I was like, I love Matt. I take all of that back. I hate Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I love you, Matt. All right. So here, enjoy 1980s number one best selling single of the year. This little gym right here. Pretty hot there, but there's Blondie, 1980. I'm cool with this. This makes a lot of sense. Uh, this, so, th- do you guys know that this this song was written for a movie? Did you guys know that? I did not. Oh, well, you're about to find out. Well, all right. Blondies, call me. This was the theme to the 1980 film American Gigolo. Uh, the the song was produced and composed by Giorgio Moroder, which is really cool. I'm kind of a Giorgio Moroder fan. Uh, lyrics were, of course, written by Blondie, uh, well, Blondie singer Debbie Harry. Debbie Harry. Yeah. The song was released in the U.S. in the early in early 1980, and it hit number one for six consecutive. See, I was mother mm. fucker. Mm. A little bit of a stroke mouth there. Yep. Yep. You all right? No, I'm not. There were 
There were a string of Does episodes. Does this song appear on the list? No. <laughs> That'd be great if it I did. gotta tell you two things. Right. There were a string of episodes where I didn't have to hit that for a while because I was mm-hmm. doing really well. You did. I was you're, in my car right. yesterday and I hit uh, Spotify, hit Tom Petty Radio and it's just playing whatever it's playing, you know. And this song came on, and I was like, "Shut the fuck up!" Damn it. <laughs> he's, got, he's got PTSD from it's, it's, from the stroke. I skipped it. I did. I do have a little bit. <laughs> like, no. Oh, uh, yeah. Where of course, every time I? I hear "Dirty Laundry" come on <laughs> on the radio, I I think we're talking about news. You think the news is coming? Up? We haven't done that in a long yeah. time. Yeah. It's it was it was becoming more depressing than anything else because yeah. all the news was so and so died from the eighties. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, uh, like we're done doing the news now. This song <laughs> was number one for six consecutive weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, becoming Blondie's biggest single and uh, her second, their second number one. Obviously, as we said, this is Billboard's number one single of 1980, which is why it's on this list. So here's the cool thing about this song, though. Originally, they asked uh, Stevie Nicks to perform a song for the movie. But she had some contract stuff going on with Modern Records that didn't allow her to record the song. So then Marauder goes to Debbie Harry, and he gives her an instrumental track called Man Machine. And he says, I want you to write the lyrics for Man Machine. So she takes this track, she goes back, she knocks it out in a few hours, and boom, Call Me is born. Uh, The lyrics were written from the perspective of a male prostitute who is the main character in the film. So I didn't really know that. Uh, but now I hear the song totally different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I, I've never, I've, well, I've never seen American Juggalo for one. Neither have I. Me neither. Um, I mean, I, I was a kid. I didn't know the plot of it. And so. I, it was 1980. I was pretty young. It'll have been weird. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so like we're gonna, I think it's the movie where Richard Gere dates a gerbil, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so in your version, <laughs> He dates a gerbil. It was sort of like the Muppets. It's much more romantic than the actual rumor. In 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 Kevin's world, he dates it. There's there's love. It's just like yeah. Just imagine Richard Gere with this like gerbil puppet character, and they're just kind of like going the beaches of like California. It's a very you know lovely childlike film in my mind, but. You go in his room instead of a bed. There's just a bunch of wood chips, <laughs> just a wheel on the corner. A, he's got right. bottles hanging on the walls. <laughs> May I offer you something to drink? <laughs> we have problems. I made you a nice meal of pellets, right? <laughs> Richard Gears just walking to the house, and a little poop falls out of his butt, and it's a little hard. <laughs> And a I like how somehow Richard Gere became the gerbil. <laughs> you missed what I said. <laughs> a little poop falls out of his and butt. And then I said, and a gerbil. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. All right, let's move oh. on, shall we, before we go too far. <laughs> oh, my God. This next song is not about a prostitute or a gerbil. <laughs> At least I don't, think so. yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. We have talked yeah. about this song. On the show in the past because uh, it was a song you didn't know was a remake. But 1981, this was your number one track. She got Betty Davis eyes. And she tease you. She'll unease you. 
buckwheat version? Or? <laughs> there is. <laughs> there is the Eddie Murphy as buckwheat version. Hear that, baby? This is this is 1981's Betty Davis Eyes. This is Kim Carnes, written and composed by Donna Weiss and Jack DeShannon in 1974, and originally recorded by Jack DeShannon. Uh, the version most of us know is Kim Carnes from 1981, though, uh, and this one spent nine consecutive, I'm sorry, nine non-consecutive weeks on top of the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. That always strikes me as interesting when a song is up number one, something comes in and beats it for a week or two, and then it comes right back and like takes over the number yeah. one spot again. I always think that's kind of cool. So this song was number one for five weeks, got knocked down for a week by Stars on 45, then it went right back up for another four weeks, becoming Billboard's biggest hit of the year. It reached number five on Billboard's top tracks chart and number 25 on the dance charts, and number one uh, was a number one hit in 21 countries. I I can't picture dancing to this song. I mean, it can. No. It's like that episode of Friends where Chandler does that convulsing dance. That's all I can see people doing. It's a very weird song to dance to. Or Elaine from Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. You know what's weird about this song? I mean, I think Betty Davis was barely, she was alive, but barely. Yeah. When this th- song yeah. was being played. I think you are correct, sir. She was still alive, but uh, Betty Davis's eyes were slowly seeing the life leave them <laughs> at the time. On. Yeah, they were a little droopy. <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode. <laughs> Gerbils and droopy eyes. She had super droopy eyes. <laughs> uh, so this song won the Grammy uh, for Song of the Year and uh, Record of the Year. It also ranked number 12 on Billboard's list of the top 100 songs of the First 50 years of the Billboard Hot 100 chart. That's a long title, but it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it was also featured... They, they knew that somewhere in the future, you were going to have to try and repeat it repeatedly. Yeah, repeat they would have changed. Yep. They would have. Can we condense that, guys? It's, it's a little yeah. long. This one guy is going to have a real hard time saying it all the time. I think anybody would... Okay, Matt, ready? Mm-hmm. Oh, am I supposed to try and say it? Billboard's list of the top 100 songs in the first 50 years of the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Yeah, that's a stupidly long list. <laughs> yeah, right. See? See? It's not so easy. Yeah. Uh, Fair, enough. Fair enough. Like I said, we did talk about this on Songs You Didn't Know Were Remakes episodes, so go back and check all of those out because they're pretty cool episodes. They're, pre- they're pretty cool. Uh, so you should you should definitely check those out. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember this song great. as a kid like being a huge hit, and I remember not knowing who Betty Davis was at the time. Like, yeah. Who are they? Like, this is a real cultural reference at the time. I think she know. played the gerbil in the uh, oh, <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Here we go. Like this song had lyrics too, and then keep in mind this is 1981, so I'm I'm pretty young, and I'm I, like now I understand the lyrics, but I didn't understand like what is happening. She run the bathtub. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, well now I get it. She's like, you know, hey, I'm ready. To guessing I've you. never listened to the lyrics of the song. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, like I never running did. a bath. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. It was very confusing as a kid, and I'm like, she's got Betty Davis eyes. Where? <laughs> like, are they in a jar? Are they in a shelf? jar? So what's going on? So the next one is very important to me. Um, this song is uh, a very special song to Jason, as I have a feeling it's a very special song to a lot of young men out there in the world. Anybody want to take a guess what it might be? A lot of young men in the 80s, probably. 
uh, the song became very important to them, or the video anyway. Uh, let's get full. Yes, Kevin. Yes, Kevin knocks it out of the park. The next song it? on our list, 1982, is this. Yeah, I was a year old, so this well, like, this this video meant like seriously. This video probably spoke to to little straight boys kind of coming into their own and gay boys because this video has everything you could possibly want from either. You either have a hot Olivia Newton-John, or you got a bunch of buffed up hot guys dancing around in a weird in aerobic gear on on the holodeck. <laughs> yeah, it, pretty, much, pretty much the holodeck. It looks like the holodeck. Star Trek. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so this was recorded by Olivia Newton-John for her 81 album of the same name, Physical. It was released as the album's lead single. Uh, I'm about to tell you guys something pretty cool that's not going to surprise you at all. The song was produced by John Farrer and written by Steve Kipner and Terry uh, Shattuck. They actually intended somebody else to sing this song. Guys want to take a guess who they thought was going to sing this song? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't a girl. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It was not really? a female. Oh, okay. Who? John can, Denver. Yes, John Denver. <laughs> physical. <laughs> Let's get physical. physical. Uh, what? What male singer could you totally see singing? This is right up his alley. Elton John. No, I don't know. Rod Stewart. Rod oh, Stewart. Yeah, I mean, I guess okay. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. It's do. Do you think I'm sexy? And let's get physical. Could have been like. To, yeah. to, you know, off the same album. It's really shocking. Um, to me, that just makes total sense. I don't know what happened, but for whatever reason, Rod Stewart didn't do it. And then they offered this to Tina Turner, who, in my opinion, would have Ooh. slaughtered this song. Oh, my yeah, God. That would have been would've. amazing. I would love to hear a Tina Turner version of Physical, uh, but it doesn't exist to the best of my knowledge. She said no. And then her manager hit up another of his clients, which was Olivia Newton-John. In the end, it all worked out probably for the best because Physical was an immediate hit for Olivia Newton-John, uh, shipping 2 million copies in the U.S., where it was certified platinum by the RIAA, spent 10 weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and it became Olivia Newton-John's biggest hit. It uh, pretty much cemented her legacy as a pop star and made a young Jason feel things for Olivia Newton-John. So, <laughs> you know, I know Olivia Newton-John was big, but I'm surprised she didn't go bigger. So you know what I mean? She really was I yes, I do. I know I've always kind of wondered that. So for the late 70s and then through the mid 80s, she was monstrously huge and I don't know if she just chose to kind of back out of music or like what happened there. I don't really know. Because I don't think it was a people just stopped buying her albums or people just got uninterested. I don't know if she stepped away or what. That would be interesting to find out sometime, though, because I often thought the same thing, Kev. Like, why did she, one day she was, like, on fire, and the next day you just didn't really hear much. Right. So, Olivia Newton-John was one of my very early crushes. Um, I saw Grease at a young age, and I always just thought she was beautiful, and just, I love that accent. So, I had a major crush on her. So, you get this young Jason seeing this physical video, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm feeling, 
I both like oh, it. My pants are a little tighter. And I'm hate not really it. Sure what's going on? <laughs> like I both like and hate this feeling. And that's not the way my it. pants are tight. You know that <laughs> sort of thing. I never said that. No. You guys, no, we we did. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. We were very curious little boys. We just didn't know what was going on, so yeah. we had to. You know, we had to ask an adult. So know, we figure out. Yeah. And they went. You can't watch that Olivia Newton-John video anymore. No. <laughs> At least not until you're you're like thirteen. <laughs> What do you and guys think? Ellie may clamp it from the, uh, you know. Was that yours? Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, Wait a reruns, minute. Reruns. I didn't see. Oh, reruns. I thought you said rerun. Yeah. I was like, hang on. That's a totally different person. <laughs> I was like, man, rerun. <laughs> rerun did it for <laughs> me. Uh, so she was she was one of your early crushes, Kev? Yeah, you know. I just uh, Hold on. Let me break up the slide whistle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Matt. and Daisy Duke. Oh God, yeah. Well, I like everybody. Right. Yeah. Daisy Duke was mine. Was RC from the Transformers? Um, oh, that's a good one. Chitara, <laughs> yeah. Chitara when she got naked in the like first episode. There we go. There's a whole discussion that guys. I yeah. most every one of you guys out there I, in our age range have had this discussion. I promise. Where you've talked to your buddies, like, what? Uh, what were there any like? Um, cartoon girls you thought were hot when you were a kid <laughs> like oh, yeah. we, we uh, all dude, had that conversation lady j baroness i mean oh lady wow. j was yeah i was always a lady j over yeah. scarlet kind of person oh definitely yeah. you know there was something about mary j yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, matt who was uh, who was uh, one Tarana. of your uh, and, and not okay, necessarily cartoon <laughs> matt who was like one of your early crushes like you recall watching something as a kid and like just really like being like human oh, I'm in non, love with her non-cartoon yeah. human, human, i would probably yeah. say probably uh winnie cooper who wasn't in love with oh winnie? yeah, yeah. Topanga uh, from boy meets world who wasn't in love with topanga right yeah winnie cooper and topanga i think were like every like yeah in it and in a good way like we mm-hmm. were like this was our awesome. ideal like oh, girl like I mean, you know just, yeah and topanga was oh, she's awesome so like yeah, yeah it's great so we've had three songs we've talked about well, four if you count the stroke song we've had call me we've had betty davis eyes and we've had physical so I think these encapsulate the early 80s very well. It's our next song that really changes the game here. This is where I'm like, when you consider Call Me, you consider Betty Davis Eyes, you consider Physical, great. This one definitely takes a different course than those three. This was my wedding song. We're going to talk about that, Matt. That's pretty. This was not my wedding song. That's not what we're going to talk about. But there's a comment that was made uh, that I added in here. That's pretty awesome. Obviously, 1983. This is Every Breath You Take by the Police from their album Synchronicity from 1983. One of the greatest albums ever, in my opinion. Uh, This song was written by Sting. The single was the biggest U.S. and Canadian hit of 1983, topping the Billboard Hot 100 single charts for eight weeks. At the 26th Annual Grammy Awards, the song was nominated for three Grammy Awards, including Song of the Year, Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals, and Record of the... How do you... Wait a minute. How How do you have a pop performance by Duo or Group without vocals? I see Group. I guess I can see it. That's weird that you have to establish that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, it was also nominated for Record of the Year. Uh, It won the first two. 
uh, did not win record of the year. There has to be like some, some like jazz group or I, something. Yeah. That, you know, like yeah. Instrumental jazz. Do something that some though. reason specifically that they, they put I mean, that I on guess there. now you could, you could look at bands like, even Blue though, group. even though they have, well, the Blue Man Group, you, well, not always. They usually yeah. have people come in and perform vocals, but not always. And I was going to say, you, you even have, uh, like Daft Punk. Who yeah. their vocals performed on it, but not always. So I guess I guess I could see where where that might be yeah. important. So it did not win, win record of the year, um, but in May of 2019, it was recognized by the BMI as being the most played song in radio history, with nearly 15 God. million radio plays. In the 19, 19- that's kind of insane. It's pretty. Yeah. No- and this we're talking, you know, not not streaming. We're talking. Yeah, this radio. was like somebody hit a button on a physical device to play that song. Yeah, on the radio. Yeah, over 15 million times. That's nuts. Uh, in the 1983 Rolling Stone Critics and Readers poll, it was voted Song of the Year. In the U.S., it was the best-selling single of 1983 and the fifth best-selling single of the decade overall. Song ranked number 84 on the Rolling Stones list of 500 greatest songs of all time. And is included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. So <clears throat> Sting has said he was disconcerted by how many people think this song is more positive than it is, uh, <laughs> saying it is about a crazy person obsessed with a lost lover who becomes so jealous they start stalking them. And this is what like he said. He said, <clears throat> one couple told me, oh, we love that song. It was the main song played at a wedding. I thought, well, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for the impression to happen. Um, When asked why he appears angry in the music video, Sting told BBC Radio 2, I I think the song is very, very sinister and ugly, and people have actually misinterpreted it as being a gentle little love song when it's quite the opposite, hence so. I love that he added it or ended it with, hence so. But I think it's great. Like every time we talk about doing a songs with inappropriate lyrics, somebody brings a song up and I'm like, yeah, but you're missing it. It is supposed to have an appropriate, like he's never intended this to be like, he is not singing in a positive light about a stalker. It's supposed to be very negative. So I've always thought that was funny, but I like that Sting had that to say about it. Hence so. Hence so. (laughs) All right, so I gave you guys an opportunity a little bit ago to try to guess um, who some of the artists on this list bit might be, and you guys said Michael Jackson. I want to give you a chance before we hit the next uh, song to take another shot at someone you think might, this is the 80s, might have had the number one hit of the year. I'm going to go with a with a context clue of something you just said. Would it be Pat Benatar, Hit Me With Your Best Shot? It is not. Okay. Someone... Like that would have been so popular, you'd have been shocked if they not didn't a, make the list. Not a part of a group. We're just talking one single uh, artist. I mean, that's that's tricky. It's yes, mm. you, uh, a couple of groups, but nobody says that about this person. They do, but not really. Okay, that's a hint. <laughs> it's a major hint. <laughs> yeah, at one point in time, he's been in a couple of different groups. Well, I'm sorry. He's been the head of a couple of different groups, but nobody ever. I mean, you do refer to those groups occasionally, but you don't. When you're talking about this artist, you talk about this artist. He is an artist. 
Formerly known as Prince. Prince! Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I had already taken a guess, so I was like, come on, Kevin. It's Prince, yeah. You got this? Yeah. So, no, yeah, right. he's been in a couple of different groups, but nobody ever really, you know, they just yeah. say Prince. I mean, Prince you may see generation. Prince in the Revolution yeah. or Prince in the New Power Generation, but mostly you just say Prince. Prince Does anybody want to take a guess at <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> Prince and Third Eye Girl. I think it was like the last band he was really? in. Really? I didn't yeah. even know that. Yeah, <laughs> he just went. He was just Prince. Okay, yeah. uh, I want you guys to take a guess what Prince song you think might have made it on the number one song. But uh, what when doves cry? When doves cry? Yeah, when doves cry, nineteen eighty four by <laughs> Prince. It was the lead single from his sixth studio album, Purple Rain, and I'm going to let Kevin tell you all about this song and the album. Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, all right. Uh, Purple Rain was a, uh, a movie that was released during this time. Yeah. Um, the movie's okay, but you're really watching the movie for the songs that's being played in there and Morris Day acting. That Morris Day saves that movie pretty much. Yeah. Other than that, Oh, you really? And just Apollonia flew like like threw that right on him there, didn't you? I did. You're like I was go, Kevin. I'm pretty impressed <laughs> with what he had to say there. Yeah. Uh, the lead single from, uh, like I said, Purple Rain. According to the DVD docu or DVD commentary of the film, Prince was asked by director Albert Magnoli to write a song to match the theme of a particular part of the film that involved parental issues and a love affair. The next morning. Prince handed him two songs. One of those was When Doves Cry. I don't know what the other one was. Uh, so according to Prince, uh, I'm sorry, according to Prince biographer Per Nilsson, the song was inspired by his relationship with Vanity Six member Susan Moonzy. Uh, it was his first Billboard Hot 100 number one single, staying there for five weeks. But let's face it, the song was a worldwide hit. Uh, it was certified platinum by the RIAA, ranked number one on the Billboard year-end Hot 100 singles for 1984, which is what we're talking about. Then after Prince's death, the song recharted on the Billboard Hot 100 chart at number eight. I would love to say it is my top five, one of my top five favorite Prince songs, but honestly, that list, uh, it shifts depending on the mood I'm in, which is how I think Prince would have it, personally. <laughs> I yeah, yep. I don't know. Kevin and I have talked about this a lot. Like, what's your favorite Prince song or what's some of your favorite Prince songs? And that's really hard for me because it does shift on me a lot. Like you said, it just kind of depends on the mood. I mean, I'm the same way with, uh, I'm a huge Prince fan, but uh, same way with the albums, you know? It's just like one minute, like Sign of the Times, next minute, you know, 1999. It just varies. Yeah, it just sort of depends on like what what Prince mood am I in today that what songs are going to speak to me. There are a couple bands like that out there, I mm -hmm. think, that it's like, for me, the the Beatles kind of hit along that lines, too, because if you go oh. to their early stuff, to their later stuff, it shifted so much. Yeah. It's um, completely different. But but there's a gradual change, which is neat. So you can start at the beginning and ride all the way through and see the changes going. And Prince is kind of like that, where I can really shift on you and tell you, yeah, like, oh, When Doves Cry, I love When Doves Cry. And then the next day I'm like, ah, it, it, it's going to be seven. I, it's seven for me. And then I could throw, uh, it's Diamonds and Pearls today. It's Diamonds and Pearls. Mm. So I've always kind of been that way with Prince. And I think that's, like I said, I think that's in how he would have had it. Like, I think that would have been what he wanted is for people to feel that way. 
<sighs> so we're uh, we're getting there. We're about to hit 1985. This like this artist is sort of on the list twice, kind of, and mm-hmm. I, I'll, I, that's kind of a hint. So what I mean by that is this band was on, group was on there, and then the artist was on there a little bit later. I'll give you guys one quick guess. You probably won't get it, but that's okay. Uh, okay. Somebody that was in a, we'll, we'll say duo, <laughs> and then that broke up, and later this person was on the list solo. Uh, would it be Wham and George Michael? Damn, dude. You guys is killing it. Here's the first song from 1985. <laughs> There's no comfort in the truth. I can't, I can't hear this song without thinking of the sexy sax fan that he is. It's some pretty sexy sax. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just just go on YouTube and look up sexy sax. You're saying this song is sexy. (laughs) So this one's kind of precarious to speak about. 1985, this is Careless Whisper by Wham, as Matt said, written by George Michael and Andrew Ridgely um, of Wham. The song was released. Yes, yes, both of them. (laughs) The song was released uh, on the 84 album Make It Big. Uh, the single release was credited either to Wham, featuring George Michael in North America and several other countries, or solely to George Michael in the United Kingdom and some European countries, because at this point, uh, the writing was on the wall that George Michael was going to be leaving Wham and embarking on a solo yeah. career. Everybody kind of knew it was coming. Uh, this song is a commercial success around the world. It reached number one in nearly 25 countries, selling around 6 million copies worldwide, 2 million of them right here in the United States of America. Uh, he came up with the idea of the song based around a girl he had a crush on when he was a young, when he was a young lad. Um, anyway, he ran into this girl and started dating her a few years later. And then, well, while he was actually dating another girl, uh, and he was hoping they wouldn't find out. So the premise of the song was that he was dancing with girl A, who knew about girl B, and he realized that even though they were dancing, the relationship was over, and he realized he was being a dick. <laughs> Not unlike the career of Wham at the time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah kind of, yeah. I mean, you're not far off. Yeah. Really, the song was, was like, about... like, I'm dancing with a solo career. How he was my, dancing my with band. his... <laughs> yeah. I know this is over, you know. I you know. love it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a... Pretty accurate, you know, metaphor. Little there. did Andrew originally know at the time, as, as, as George Michaels was looking deep into his eyes, that he was singing to him directly. I'm yeah. never gonna dance again. Guilty feelings. You've got no oh my god, that's good. <laughs> but you were right, Sorry. Matt. You nailed that one. Uh, wham! Yeah. And then we're gonna we're gonna hear from George Michael here in a few. But we've got a couple years before that happens. Uh, God, I want to go ahead and do it though. Do you, can you guess what George Michael song we're going to hear on here? Uh, yes. Okay. I'm guessing freedom. Um, I'm going to wait till we freedom get nine. I'm going to oh, wait till we get eight. to that. Yeah. To the song. And then I'm going to let you guys both take a okay. guess at what George Michael's solo song you think makes, uh, the number one. Oh, I, I got another one I think it might be. Uh, yeah. But before we get there, we have this little ditty. Now, oh, yeah. I, I'm going to tell you about this song. Um, this song we've also talked about as songs you didn't know were remakes, and this was a huge hit for a group of people that came together to record the song. Anybody want to guess what it was? Yep. Uh, it's not We Are the World. That would have been earlier. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But very similar kind of stuff. 
the song. Oh, uh, oh damn it! What's that other song? People got a, gr- a small group got together to record this song to release for uh, AIDS charity. Anyone? Anyone? Here, let me let me help you. Was it Queen? Keep smiling. Oh, damn it. Yeah. It's one of those, like, yeah, when you hear it, it makes total sense. Yeah. That's what friends are for. But if you're on the mixtape, what friends are for is busting your balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is That's What Friends Are For, 1986 by Dion and Friends, written by Burt Backrack and Carol Byer. Carol Byer Sager and first recorded in 1982 by, do you guys remember who recorded this song first? We just talked about him a few minutes ago up on this list for a song he didn't get. This is a song he did get. No, it's Rod Stewart. (laughs) Rod Stewart recorded this song in 1982 for the soundtrack for the film uh, Night Shift, which is an amazing movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, But it's better known for this 85 cover by Dion Warwick, Elton John, Gladys Knight, and Stevie Wonder, better known as... Dion and Friends. It was released as a charity, like I said, for AIDS research and prevention. Uh, it was a massive hit, probably because of that. Became the number one single for 86. Won the Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a duo or group with vocals and Song of the Year. Raised more than $3 million for the cause. This is back in 1986, so that was pretty amazing. In the United States, the song held the number one spot for the adult contemporary chart for two weeks. The number one spot of the soul chart for three weeks and the top spot of the Billboard Hot 100 for four weeks. It was certified gold by the RIAA. It was the final U.S. number one for all of the artists on this list, except for one person. You guys want to guess who? Uh, not on our list, but in the group. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, it was the last number one hit for everybody in this little group, except for one person. Oh, probably Elton John. Elton John. He would have two more uh, U.S. number ones in the 90s. Um, yeah. So, and this song My is cheesy is, as hell. If if we're guessing that, probably um, the one "Candle in the Wind" the remake. Maybe that. Yeah. No, that was mm. yeah. Probably yeah, that. that was in the '90s. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He had two more number one hits in oh. the '90s. It could have been. It was probably that. Maybe. Um, maybe you. Oh God. Um, probably. Maybe even something off Lion King. Oh or, yeah. Yeah. God, God only knows. Man, it could have been the one. It could have been. There's. He had. You know, so there you go. This song is cheesy as hell. I've always thought it was. It's a Burt Backrack song, so of course it's yeah. cheesy as hell. I mean, yeah, you know, best uh, Burt Backrack song is on the Beavis and Butthead Do America soundtrack. What's that? Fly Lesbian Seagull. <laughs> is that really <laughs> Burt Backrack yeah. who did that song? I did not. Pretty know sure. That. I'm gonna look that up. Yep. You know, I mean, this is the yeah. guy that you know what the world, the world needs now. Needs now. Love, love, sweet, sweet love. love. No, not just for some, but for, for everyone. everyone. God. All right. All right. Please, please hold for soundtrack. <laughs> please hold. So please we're hold we're about to hit 1987. Okay. Okay. Uh, yep, lesbian Seagull by. No, I'm sorry, Engelbert Humperdinck. Uh, yeah, different that, different person with makes a very equally... very similar. Yeah. Goofy ass name. Yes. And yeah. and very cheesy music. Yeah. So I can't. Yeah. yeah. Right up the same alley, man, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, that follows an ACDC song on the soundtrack. That's pretty amazing. I had that soundtrack. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. And I know the song. I just didn't know that when you said, well, I didn't know it was Engelbert Humperdinck either, to be honest. Yeah. So we're at 1987, uh, number one selling 
song or chop charting single, whatever, however you want to say it, for 1987. This is a female band, very famous female band. Um, okay. That's all, and we've talked about this song quite a few times. Um, anybody want to take a mm. guess at uh, uh, Walk Like the uh, an Damn Egyptian? it, guys. You guys are killing it yeah. today. Walk well, it, Like. It is that, okay, I was going to pick it. I figured it was Eternal Flame, but. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, same band, but no. Same band, different walk, song. Walk Like an Egyptian. There was only there was only two female bands. <laughs> the Go Go's, yeah, and the Bengals. Whatever band Cindy Lauper started. Probably. So, well, you're you're kind of. I mean, there are a lot of female led in, bands in my mind. Well, no, say. no, hold up, hold up. You're. I, I'm defending in that there there are female led bands and there are female artists, but how many female bands were there? Yeah, like, like the almost entire, entire band. female bands. There's not a lot in general. Nope. Yeah. So I mean, we had some great, you know, like Blondie. You know, we have yeah. Debbie mm-hmm. Harry, but she it wasn't an all female. The Runaways, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, yeah, the Runaways, yeah, um, were an all female band. So there are a few, but definitely. So this is Walk Like an Egyptian, 1987, The Bengals. Uh, we've talked about this song a few times on the show. It's the third single from their second studio album, Different Light, from 1986. It's the band's first number one single, being certified gold by the RIAA and ranked Billboard's number one song of 87. Like I said, we talked about this not that long ago. Liam Sternberg, who uh, who wrote the song, said he was inspired to create the song while on a ferry crossing the English Channel. The vessel hit some choppy water and passengers started you know, moving around all over the place and he's waving their arms awkwardly and he said it reminded him of those paintings he saw, you know, back like that they would show like that were on Egyptian tombs and stuff. And that made him come up with this dance called Walking Like an Egyptian. Number one in the U.S. on December 20th, staying at the top of that, of the Hot 100 for four weeks. It carried over into January of 1987 and boom, there you go. The success of the song and Manic Monday propelled Different Light to number two on the Billboard 200 chart, making it the group's most successful album. And Susanna Hoff, uh, please come on the show. We love you. Yep, front of the show. Um, Manic Monday, written by? Prince. Yeah. Prince. I mean, everybody kind of knows that. There's a version of Prince singing Manic Monday out there. You can oh, oh, yeah. Because yeah. Um, he had a crush on Susanna Hoffs. Because Well, yeah, because obviously... <laughs> I think they dated for a hot second. Uh, Susanna Hoff said they never dated that. That oh, really? and she doesn't okay. say it in a, in a way like, "No, we never dated." It, it's sort of like, "No, we never actually dated." There was some like flirting and some yeah. They text um, each other back and forth and probably. some collaboration with with music back and stuff. In the 80s and I just don't think it ever. You know, yeah, they stayed in an Airbnb, you know, together yeah. back in the <laughs> back in the 80s. food to each other in the eighties. Uh, so we are at 1988 now, and we're back to George Michael. So I want you guys to give your thoughts. What song? I told you guys I'd ask you when we got there, and you both said 88. You both seem I'm to guessing have faith. Uh, Kev, what do you think? I'm thinking faith. Do you guys have faith in your choice? I feel like we should. Now that you just said that, because I gotta have faith. Oh, I hate that version so much. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so you guys are right. 1988, Faith, George Michaels, uh, from his 87 debut solo album called Faith. 
Uh, this song oh. held the number one position on the Billboard. What was that? You're like, huh? I was like, oh, I didn't know it was called Faith. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> held the number one position on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for four weeks, and according to Billboard magazine, was the number one single of the year in 1988. So here's the thing: originally, he didn't intend the song to be a single, uh, but they kind of listened to it, and they all kind of decided it needed to be longer than the original two minutes that it was, and so uh, George spiced it up a bit, and uh, here we are. It's, uh, yeah, it's weird. I, again, this was just supposed to be a little two-minute track, and going back, they're like, well, we think this might be a single. We think this might be a hit. And then they ended up naming the whole damn album after it. It's <laughs> it's weird to think about George Michael sometime because he's almost not the same guy he was in Wham! So, like... No, not even close. Yeah. Faith was a much more risque, like edgy kind of i don't know than the than the some of the poppy stuff that wham was doing um now careless whisper yes was a little more edgy but again that was him you can you can see the break is what i'm saying you can see the break between george michael and wham with i mean with this video i mean the leather jacket the five o'clock shadow he was going for a tough boy edge shaking his booty to his music the tight tight jeans shaking his butt i mean half the video is him him painted on jeans yeah Right. She walks by me with painted on jeans. Oh. Wait, is that the actual lyrics to that song? Yeah. The, no the, shit. Oh, to okay. Caribbean Queen. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. I've never, I did not know that. Yeah, All she right. walks yeah. by me with painted on jeans. Do I not listen to lyrics? <laughs> Apparently. <you> do. <laughs> I, I, I don't. You know, I, I, oh, wow. Fuck them lyrics, man. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm in it for it's a nice beat, and you can dance to it. It's funny because exactly. since we tend to tangent a lot, you know, um, that's Billy Ocean, and mm-hmm. I I like some Billy Ocean, but I've never been okay. How does one say I'm not a fan, but yet a fan of Caribbean Queen? Um, Caribbean Queen. That's the first part that drives me nuts. Not a single human being in the history of anybody you know says Caribbean. They, we yeah. say Caribbean. Well, I say it all the time. You don't know us. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, just the other day I was telling you about Caribbean, you know. But, but I don't understand why uh, you couldn't say Caribbean Queen. It still works. No, no, it's got to be Caribbean. Caribbean Queen. <laughs> Caribbean. Uh, Come but, on, say it with me, Jay. Caribbean. <laughs> Caribbean. There you go. Caribbean. <laughs> this has got to stay in the episode, by Cara- the way. Caribbean Queen. Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> so like Forrest Gump saying Caribbean Queen. Hey, if we're talking Billy Ocean, it's get out of my dreams, get in my car for my money, motherfuckers. Get in the boxy, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you knew those lyrics. Yeah. Hell yeah, I did. When the going gets tough, the tough gets tough going. Gets going. I have that on 45 vinyl. No shit. Sure you don't have it on single? I don't. I don't. You know, Damn, I probably did. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't. Uh, no, I have 45 vinyl of... of uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. What movie is that from? Is that Romancing the Stone? It is the sequel to Romancing the Stone, which ah, is Jewel of the Nile. Of the Nile. Ah. Yep. Yeah, and the video's got all of them dancing in it, which is pretty cool. It's like Kathleen Turner and uh, Danny DeVito and uh, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas all doing. They're all wearing like you know those experts of dance. That you no, it's great. It's dancing. a lot, it, but yeah. it's fun. They're all wearing like the white suits and they're dancing he's singing in the foreground and they're in the background doing the same little dance behind him it's fun it's a fun video uh for a movie that was only so so romance of the stones great but jewel denial is like mm-hmm. it's okay 
those are those are movies that every once in a while I'm like, I really want to watch those again. Because, I don't know why. Because they're fun. They're fun yeah. as hell. Yeah. They're just fun movies. I mean, it's just, if it's like a Saturday afternoon and if it's yeah. somehow on the television, I'll you know plop down and watch it. You know, it's <laughs> something to do. It's amazing. We were talking about George Michael and now we're on to um, somebody that's not on this list at all. But I <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Tangent. That is something that happened in the 80s. That this is, this is, I was actually thinking about this a couple weeks ago. This is a huge disconnect. Like this thing that happened in the 80s and then throughout the 90s that doesn't quite, it still happens, but it's not, it does not have the same feel. Well, songs from the sound, like a lead song, they'll still record a song for a movie, but it's not like fun anymore. It's like, it used to be like, you know. I think probably the most recent fun song for a movie has got to be Lose Yourself by Eminem. God, dude, even that was in what 2000 and that's what I'm saying. It's probably the most early thousands, but we just don't like if we go over the 80s and we still we'll we'll do a whole episode where we talk about this. We have before, but we'll do it again. But you look at the songs like um, uh, Goonies are good enough and oh, yeah, uh, never ending story and St. Elmo's fire and like these songs are fun and they became hits all of their own. To the degree that mm-hmm. some of them people know the damn song and didn't even know they were from a movie. Uh, right. A lot of times, yeah. Yeah, because the song held on as its own entity, which is pretty cool. So uh, we are we are bringing the sucker in here at uh, 1989 for the last song on our list this uh, this this evening morning, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Whenever, whenever you whenever you're listening. listening. I mentioned earlier that this one shocked me a little bit, and it shocks me for a couple of reasons. One, again, this band was a huge band. I'm going to give you guys a hint in a second, see if you can guess. But this song, I was like, really? So the band was massively huge. The lead singer left the band, went into a solo career, and had a huge uh, success with his solo career. They brought in this new dude. And they continued as a band. They're still out there touring today. They still do stuff. I've seen them with this new lead singer, and I've seen the original lead singer in concert as well, uh, doing his solo stuff. And I'm not a huge fan of the band without the original lead singer. You guys want to take a guess at the band? I think I know, but they're Aerosmith? not together anymore. It's not, no, it's not. Aerosmith no. never had another lead singer. Genesis. It's not Genesis. Slash Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins. No, but that would be a good guess. Yeah. Uh, it's Chicago. The Cars? It's oh, Chicago. Chicago. Okay. Yeah. It's Chicago. And once Chicago Peter Sotero. Had... Yeah. Oh. Peter Sotero okay. was the original singer for Chicago. I forgot about that. And does okay. all the great Chicago songs. And then they got uh, Bill Champlin. And um, yeah. Well, and then we got this song. Listen, this this shocks me as a, the number one single from, from 89. Yeah, it's Look Away from Chicago. It's not, I don't think I've ever heard that song. Yeah, it's weird that you would say that. Melissa said the same thing. My wife Melissa said the same thing, and that's weird to me because this song was, I remember, it was huge. I remember it. Uh, really? Yeah. I, and, yeah. like, I remember it. It just kind of shocked me. It's a great song, by the way. It's nothing, I, it's just nothing that Chicago did after Peter, Peter Cetera with the exception of maybe one Chicago song. 
that never really landed as hard for me as what they did with Peter Cetera. But this was Look Away, 1989, Chicago, written by Diane Warren and Bill Champlin, who also was on lead vocals. Second single from the band's album, Chicago 19. Look Away topped the Billboard Hot 100 for two weeks in December of 88, matching the success of, of If You Leave Me Now from 1976 and Hard to Say I'm Sorry from 1982. Look Away is Chicago's seventh song to hit number one on the adult contemporary chart, as well as the number one song uh, on the 89-year-end Billboard Hot 100 chart, even though it never held the number one spot at all in 1989. Isn't that weird? Held the spot in 88, never held it in 1989, but was the number one song year-end. So... Uh, the song is the band's only number one single following the departure of Peter Cetera. Bassist Jason Sheff remarked, The songs that last for me are the ones I don't get at first. And added, I remember hearing Look Away and thinking, It's okay, but not great. Thank God I'm not an A&R man. <laughs> so I think that it's weird. It's so telling. Like Matt's like, I don't know the song. And Melissa, my wife, was like, I don't know that song. And Kevin, I think you were about to make a comment. Yeah, I don't know this song. That's so weird. Uh, I do. I mean, I remember it well. I remember it fondly. It's it's a good song, but it's shocking to me that it took the number one spot. Like, I don't know, uh, as the number one single of the year. So there you go. Uh, those were the number one singles each year from 1980 to 1989. Uh, what did you guys think overall of the list? Were you surprised? Was there anything that you... Uh, we're like, how the hell did that make it on? Or anything you're like, how the hell did that not make it on? That last song is totally took me by surprise. Yeah. But and it's 1989. Else, there yeah. were some pretty, you know, big popular songs. Yeah. But, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, I, I, I think that just while, while a song may have been popular and well known, it's like our personal songs that we really liked at the time you'd think that they would be bigger than they are a lot of the time mm-hmm. so having them not actually show up on the list is kind of strange so yeah like I, can, I can think of a few songs and i'm like oh my god that'd be really cool like why is this not on there you know and i, what I why think- is why is there nothing from like back to the future the back to the future soundtrack right would have been in that time so i think there are you know? a multitude of reasons why i'm guessing by the way conjecture yeah. i think we hit on it earlier when you guys said michael jackson I'm like, okay, Thriller was huge, oh, but, yeah, but was it the, the single album, or did people just single. go buy the album? And the same thing I think happened a lot with like anything Huey Lewis. The whole albums are, it's, people tend to, the world is a lot different now than it was then. So you, yeah. you didn't, in the 80s, you didn't buy a single so much. Um, the albums were usually good and you usually bought the whole thing. Yeah. So to say these were the number one single of the year, it's, you know, I think, doesn't really speak. I'm actually, when I start looking at it from the opposite side, I'm like, oh, I'm actually shocked Prince was on here because you would think that, like Thriller, people just bought Purple Rain, the whole album. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's interesting to me. Um, I'm really happy with some of the list. I loved that we get to see, like, so in this house, <laughs> in my house, Debbie Harry is much loved. Uh, my wife and I are like big Blondie fans. We were like have mm-hmm. we kind of have a thing for Debbie Harry because who doesn't? Don't you have a Blondie Funko Pop? We do. Yeah, it was one of the first mm-hmm. gifts I bought her was a Debbie Harry uh, Funko Pop. Yeah, 
it's cool to see, you know, Olivia Newton-John make this list. I think the first three songs really were telling of the early 80s with, like, Be- Betty Davis Eyes and Call oh, yeah. Me and Physical. It's like, yeah, that that jerks me back <laughs> big time to a certain, like, oh, God. I'm say it. Just hearing those songs makes me feel like a kid again. Like, I re- remember very specific times where we were sitting there and listening to those songs and it's weird to like have those memories sometimes. So that's a pretty cool list overall. Yeah. I, I think this one, parts of this made more sense than the nineties one to me. That's for sure. That one was, yeah. that one was interesting. So, uh, Matt probably has a playlist guys. It's probably up and available and you can go, uh, download the number one songs of each year of the eighties playlist and be listening to that. Yeah, and, I'll just uh, have to get that from you. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. I, w- I will send that <laughs> I to you. I wasn't taking notes, so. That's cool. I'll send it to you, like, directly when we are done. I will just forward you okay. over the notes. We've got some really cool stuff coming up. Uh, obviously, last week, you probably heard our 80s country episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed that one as much as we, as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Uh, and here's your for- fair warning. <laughs> that's all the and warning you're gonna love it that's trust all me. the warning you get <laughs> 90s is coming we actually have um we're working on uh we've mentioned it before a couple guest podcasts are going to be coming on here with us to do some really cool stuff so uh we have a schedule we know what we're going to be talking about for the most part for the next few weeks um and we got some cool stuff coming up uh, there's going to be some album talk there's going to be some uh at some point, we're going to be talking about like uh, unplugged albums and just some different stuff. So we want to tell you guys so you can get your brains thinking because, of course, we're going to put the call out and ask you guys what you would add on your list. So be looking for that on our social medias because we love adding your feedback and Matt will create lists of what you guys send us as well. So we Correct. do hit on that, but I want to make that very clear. We put together playlists of almost every episode we do. And Matt puts those on Spotify, and when we have listener feedback, he creates the listener feedback list and puts those up on Spotify, too. So yep. uh, you can go check all those out. Uh, I've already I'll, been listening to the country, the 80s country episode just on my own. Yeah, I get it. I get it. He yeah. tells me on the phone the other day, Kev, he's like, I've been listening to the seven Spanish angel song. And uh, that's depressing. It's as depressing. Hell, <laughs> <laughs> really depressing. I was like, what the hell? I, I, seven Spanish angels. I actually shared that song. Another angel home. There's a, like, oh, God. <laughs> just, why? I shared that song with a, a woman I work with the other day. She, She's really into like older country music, and I was talking about it, and I was like, "Did you know that uh, that because uh, she was talking about Willie Nelson?" And I'm like, "Ah, did you know that Ray Charles?" And she's like, "I didn't." I was like, "Well, now you get to go listen." They uh, yeah, they collaborated. So, uh, take a second to hand the reins to you guys. Is there anything that I have forgotten or don't know about that we need to bring up here on the show before we close this bad boy out? I can't think of anything. Just depends on uh, when this is coming out. Uh, right after Crypticon, probably. So then, hopefully, just, hopefully, Matt yeah. got to see a couple of you out up at Crypticon, yeah. Kansas City. Uh, if you went to Crypticon, if you made it out there uh, by yeah. any chance, drop us a line. Let us know what you thought of it overall, and if you got to talk to Matt, let us know that as well. Yeah. Um, we gave you all our social medias earlier, but you can write us. It's uh, your mixtape show at gmail dot com. Uh, just drop us over a message. We'd love to hear from you or call us, you know, uh, 513-HE-RAD-77. 
That's the easiest way for me to remember it. So that's what I'm going to yeah. say. 513-ERAD-77. Drop us a voicemail. 513-437-2377. There you go. Uh, I knew Matt would know it. So drop us a voicemail. Drop us an email. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, if you guys make it out to you know, Crypticon. And uh, if there's any show topics or anything you'd like us to discuss, let us know that as well. I think that's it. Guys, I had fun talking to you like I always do. It was a good time enjoying the 80s for a few minutes. We'll be yep. back next week with more geeky goodness. And uh, until we uh, talk to you guys, remember, always stay awesome. Stay awesome. There are times that you feel like your head is a big old bucket filled with fuzzy dreams. Cause you wish you were a muppet But you can't play the music And you can't light the lights And it's all you oh. can do Just to make it through Any more of these lonely nights So you grab your bit of mixtape And you pop it in the slot And you scream two words along with all the nerds Cause right now it's all you've got Dream.